Hi, welcome to season nine. We're on episode two of um, what we're calling the art and science of marketing. And we're intrigued by it. So anytime, you know, we get questions and we want to figure it out, um, we want to open it up. So we're going to unpack this a bit more today. I'm Mary Abazia and with me is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellam. Hello. And we're missing Sean's Hello. dog today. He's <laughs> yeah, around somewhere. He may make an appearance. Don't write him off just yet. Okay, deal. Um, so, Tom, can you uh, lead us off on this one? Well, last last session. Uh, by the way, Rascal doesn't like this season so far. We, we, are we, so far, he's no, he's he's not even awake. I'm looking at him right now. So uh, he's he's not only disinterested, he's actively bored with it. So I, he's got no taste. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? Okay. So. <laughs> Maybe season 10, we'll get a return of, of Rasco. Anyway, um, yes, as Mary said, this season's about the art and science of marketing. Last week, we, we kind of talked generally about art and you know, drilled in a little bit to, to some of our tools and, and really some of the strategic uh, processes that have a lot of art to them. And we kind of peppered in some science too, so you could see the contrast. I think this week, we want to talk a little bit more about the science of, of marketing and, and um, you know, strategic approaches. So um, I guess the way to kick off the discussion would be to say, generally speaking, what do you guys have to say <laughs> about the science of, of strategic marketing? Yeah, I think there's, you know, when we talk about science, I've had this issue when I've worked with engineers and scientists, right? But they, they're very disciplined in their approach to these things. So sometimes get called out on, is this really science? Because a lot of what we do in, in marketing, there's a lot of psychology, interpretation, opinion. Is there any hard facts? And I think the thing about the science is more the scientific method. I always think that that if you follow scientific scientific method, it's make observations, right? So you can look at your data, you can look at customers, you can look at your competitors, you can look at market share. You look at these observations and you think you ask an interesting question, which is the kickoff for science. What if? How's this? Why does this happen? And from that inquiring mind, you you develop a hypothesis. And what we create really are testable hypotheses because you you'll never truly know the accuracy of your of your methodology or your prediction or your, your your action until you can measure the effect of it and even then you can't be certain it's a hundred percent driven by your actions right you sometimes get dumb luck and and it's it's uh, my more frequent companion dumb bad luck but i guess the scientific part for me is just following that discipline of saying observe ask questions hypothesize create a testable hypothesis go ahead and test it learn from the results, reevaluate and, and sharpen your knowledge and ultimately test it in the, the, the furnace of the marketplace, you know, see if you're, you're growing your market share. So I think for science, read scientific method and that tends to get more people on board. That would be my, my opening statement, Tom, is to take that it's not science question sort of head on. I love the furnace of the marketplace. I hadn't heard it before and I hadn't thought about it before, but it, it certainly makes a whole lot of sense. I want to add to what you're saying um, because you had, you know, a lot of the methodologies of science in there, the hypothesis testing. And I just want to put more emphasis on the measuring part of it because I think that that's where there's the misnomer that marketing is squishy. And when we talk about the science part of it, 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 it feels right. It feels like it's more um, a, a true discipline because there is a lot of measuring. And I think that that's a challenge of a marketer to measure anything that they possibly can 
to prove or disprove the hypothesis and have better information to know if they should continue or if they should, you know, pivot and do something different. So I do like um, when we have uh, people stand up and go, oh man, I'm looking at the ability to win. And we are, you know, 300 points off and, and we're in trouble. Um, and they, they have some, some data to support what they're saying, which I think is more of that science and part of it. So, um, also the, oh, go ahead, Sean. Well, I was gonna say, because it's, it's relevant to that particular tool that, that sometimes people, will collect the data as best they can, maybe from research, maybe from intuition or gut feel. They've got a sense of their own market and they will construct a competitiveness score, if you like, a competitive position and say, we seem to do better than this. This, this outcome seems to suggest we're not doing very well. So the measure is also important to validate the inputs. It's not just the output measure. It, it's sort of being able to say, if the real world doesn't reflect what I'm modeling here in terms of the key variables, then the real world isn't wrong because that is hard data, right? So maybe I'm missing a key component. Maybe there's something more to how competitiveness is defined in this market than what I'm thinking. Am I missing something? So measurement can also keep us on track, not just validate. It can challenge our assumptions and say, you might want to go around this again and see what you're you're missing. So I think I think measurement is a is a is the, is the perfect um, aspect of, of a scientific approach. Well, I think I think we're saying there's two elements to science. I think the the more standard uh, way that people think about science today in, in in the era we live in is data and proof. But I think what you're both saying is that the other element of science is overlaying a process on something that a lot of people think is pure art and just, you know, people that have experienced, you know, knowing, knowing what to do. We feel that we're marketing scientists and we work with marketing scientists, not because we in the old days would go into a live two day session and, and really not have access to any, a lot of data or any new data, but still by overlaying a scientific process, people would feel like now they had a step-by-step -step methodology to understand how to do great marketing. And so the scientific part that is process is what we have, we have always done. But I think the other aspect that you guys are talking about, and that is really relevant, is this data aspect. And that is once you have a hypothesis through a scientific process, today, I guess better than any era that's ever existed, we can then get the data and prove or disprove the hypothesis or kind of get, find out why we feel like you just mentioned, Sean, what's, you know, why, why, does this, why does this result from this process not feel right, not feel accurate? And so I think there's both elements of, of, of science um, that are there, process and data. You raise another really interesting point, Tom. You mentioned that, that going into these, these sessions with very little data sometimes and working off uh, of people's um, baseline knowledge. And I just want to emphasize how absolutely valid and important that level of knowledge is, and sometimes more so. Because if you're 
okay, I don't want to over-characterize you, but if you're spoon-fed data that says your customers care about this, these customers belong to this demographic, these type of people do this sort of thing, if you take everything at face value, then you're losing that sort of X factor that is part of, of the marketing mindset. It's having that intuition, that gut feel, that that idea that you 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 can think like your customer because not everything is revealed in data. Tom, you may remember we were working together and we had two teams. Uh, it was um, it was actually back over here in the UK, and one team said, "Hey, we've got some recent market research. Can we use this as part of our thing?" And we said, "Of course you can. That, you paid for it. Use it. This is you know this is not a." Um, this is not cheating. This is using real data. And the other team said, hang on, we, we've got no data. This isn't fair. And we said, well, just use your instincts. The results that came out were so close together that either the team without the data were just geniuses or the team with the data had just wasted about a hundred grand on buying the data, which they appeared to know intuitively already. And it's just an example of how don't underestimate the, the, the sort of, um, the knowledge through osmosis that you get through being exposed constantly to a market, it's really powerful and a very valid input into this process. So if you don't have data, rejoice in the fact and use yeah. your gut. Yeah, I really, I like that. I like that example a lot because I've seen that. Um, some of the groups that we work with like to call this engineering marketing because we work with so many engineers and scientists. And so they, you know, it has kind of a double meaning but what I like about it too, as, as we're talking through this is, is, is engineers especially are trained to always be uh, skeptical, always looking for what are we missing? What's next? Um, looking for something under a rock. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, it, it almost looks like sometimes that's art because it, it looks like, um, you know, you're, you're searching for something, but using an approach to do that and go, I know there's something missing. And if you think about it, you know, um, especially when you're at the influencer map, you're you're doing you and your company a disservice not to say I am missing something, which is an engineering statement. And once you do that, all of a sudden you're like, oh, moly, I forgot the patient in here, or you know, what something really important. So I do like the what's missing element of a science thinker too. That fits into this. Yeah, it's really important because you'll never have complete data, and that's another. A thing that holds some marketing teams back is that they'll say, well, we'll get around to this when we have the data, when we have good data, or let's do some research first. And, and, and my point with the science approach is you've got to evolve as you go along. You know, great scientific breakthroughs weren't done because somebody collected tons and tons of data. It started with that eureka moment or that apple on the head or whatever meme you want to recall for science. Something happens that then makes you, you know, you've observed it and you think, why and how and what if and, and what's the causes for it? And, and your curiosity will never be satiated by data. I worked with a guy for a number of years in California and he was responsible for producing data that, that various departments would ask him for. He was the keeper of the data when we had these crazy computer systems that nobody could use apart from that one guy down in the basement. And he, on his retirement speech, on his, on his retirement party, he, he had a wonderful line and he said, I spent my entire career giving people exactly what they asked for, but not quite what they needed. And I thought that's that to me sums up data. You have to be very specific. And if you're missing something, you end up with with exactly what you asked for, but it's just not quite what you needed to solve this problem. 
You know, I think that's a very practical point, Sean, that I'd like to build on because you said, you know, there are so many people that, that say they don't want to, you know, attack a marketing process until they, they have the data. Well, the fact of the matter is, is when people are thinking about doing market research, which has a reasonably hefty price tag, there's so many things that they want to research, right? There's, and, and, and if they're the type that, that are, are prone to analysis paralysis, they might think they want to know everything, which is not practical. There are many questions that you have in any given market situation. What a process does, if you follow a process like ours before you have data, is it highlights those things that you most need to know. So you take a limited market research budget and you apply it uh, uh, at those biggest unknowns that as you were going through a, a process and generating hypothesis, you said, this is the part of the process that I felt most uncomfortable that our gap between what we, we know and don't know is the widest. And so I can take this you know, wide array of market research that I could do if I had unlimited budget and apply the practical budget against the things that I most need to know because I went through a scientific process and figured out where my gaps were. And there's another challenge on top of that. I totally agree with you. And there's also data has never been more available, right? It's, it's easier to get than ever. And that can lead people to finding some spurious correlations. And if you torture data long enough, it'll confess to anything. And if you, if you have a data set and you come back and say, I've just noticed that the most common name for a male buying underwear online on a Tuesday is David, you go, so what? That's not actionable. It doesn't tell you anything. And sometimes we get so into the weeds of what the data and looking for these false correlations that, that data itself has become so all-consuming and all-available that it, it represents its own challenge, which is cutting through the, 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 uh, the, the extraneous and, and finding those, those nuggets of real insight. But we've had about 10 quotable quotes on this already, Sean. I, my, if you torture data long enough, it'll confess to anything. Go <laughs> <Yeah>. on <laughs> from there. <laughs> Actually, I, I'll, I'll get my little book of Sean's aphorisms. I'll get it published. I think, I think that's the thought of the day. Um, thank you. Well, I, put, I do put quotes in the write-ups for these things when we when we post these podcasts. So I don't, I'm, and I usually am looking for three. I think I'm going to have to have about seven or eight slots. <laughs> I should have saved them for the next one. If I could have one one final thought on this this whole thing that that I think we can unpack a little bit more is you know, when, when you think about the, the marketing, strategic marketing process and you say, where is the science most needed? And maybe where it's, it's least utilized is in what I think we would all say is the most important thing in business is being unique or differentiated to your, your customers. I mean, basically the result of our marketing process is meant to, to, to maximize uh, your unique value in, in, in the marketplace uh, you know, with, your, with, your, with your target markets. And, you know, there, there's just companies don't do enough. They don't think you can measure that. They think that that's just something that you know when you see it. <laughs> like that definition of pornography in the 1960s by the Supreme Court. I don't know what, you know, the Supreme Court says, I don't, I don't, I can't define pornography. I just know it when I see it. Well, 
a lot of people say I can't define my level of differentiation. I just know it if I have it. And, and, and we, we know that by using our ability to win tool that people can actually measure differentiation, that there should be more science around that. So I suggest that maybe on a future um, episode in this season, we talk a little bit more about the science of measuring unique value and differentiation because we all know it can be done and a lot of people don't think it can be done. I think on top of that, that's a really good, and I think we should take that into another episode because it's a rich and deep topic. But just by way of reminding myself when we get to it, one of the other aspects of, of measuring is always we have a habit, an inbuilt habit of trying to prove something correct. We very rarely try to disprove something. And one of the key things that separate a scientific thinker from the rest of us mere mortals is they seek to falsify, not just to prove. And you rarely see marketing teams or, frankly, anyone outside of science saying, what would prove this theory wrong? What would falsify it? And that is a, a, a much smarter way often to strengthen your hypothesis is to look for ways that you could knock it down and see if it stands up to that assault. And that's a, another topic. I want to build on that when we talk about it again. But the ability to to falsify your beliefs, not just validate them, because you can fall in so many traps by just cherry picking data that supports your view <laughs> and not challenging yourself to say, oh, well, that, that's ruined my whole day because now my theory no longer holds. You know, I, Sean, I was doing that with a group um, and we got to that point where, I mean, the ability to win was, was zero, you know, just nothing. And the team just let out a big sigh of relief and said, Thank goodness, because we knew it was a dog and we needed more evidence to prove to our boss that we shouldn't pursue this. We have no differential advantage. And this is just, you know, the, the evidence we needed to finally say this is not something we should be wasting our time on anymore, even though we spent a whole lot of money on it already. So um, I, I also agree with you. Um, you know, we talked a lot about um, having an over an overline uh, process, but also the people that are involved. You know, we've talked about mindset a bit, but that's why I, I think this is such an interesting approach too, because you need to have science type thinkers, whether that's the medical director, if you're in pharma, or even if it's an attorney, you know, especially if you're doing like finance, uh, the, that, that, that disciplined thinker uh, needs to be part. You can't just get in a room and use your classic marketer. You have to have some of these these people in here to really bring that alive in a session and to ask those questions that you're saying, you know, what are we trying to disprove? What are we missing? All of those things. So the people part of that process is key too, that we'll probably need to delve into more. Mary, if I could just go a little farther than that, I really think we, we often say that the marketer is the orchestrator of strategy. I think that it's the marketer's job to make sure that those that, you know, that there's both that there's that balance there. And a lot of people think of, of, of marketers as, you know, artists or, or, you know, just people that, that um, what does Dilbert say? The marketing, that's just liquor and guessing is what Dilbert says. And, and, and we, we think that's the wrong way to think about it. And we think that marketers should be a good balance of art and science. They should be the, the orchestrators between customer needs and the company's capabilities. There's all these connections that the marketer, um, you know, needs to, 
needs to 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 make happen and and when they do that's when marketers are doing what they need to do to provide the most value for their organization so uh we hope that uh, there's a couple of things that you took from from this podcast and um, we're gonna obviously we have a lot of things that we want to talk more about in future podcasts so stick with us if you like what you're hearing and as always, we love to hear from people when they, they tell us either topics that they want or they sometimes just disagree with us and we love it too. So please let us know what you're thinking and find us anywhere you find your podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you next time.